0: I can't put that in. Yeah, no, you
1: can't. <laughs> Unless it's a different show we're doing now. But uh, <laughs> uh,
0: We need to sell the outtakes, Dana. The stuff we cut out, that's the gold right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. I'm your navigator, Dana Smith, and our science officer and engineer is my good friend, Dan Calzaretta.
0: Good evening, Dan. (laughs) Dana, if I'm the engineer (laughs) and the science officer, we are in trouble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You set up the podcast, you do the editing. So yeah, I wanted to give you some credit.
0: Well, I'm glad you're the navigator. That's not my forte. In fact, my wife once told me I couldn't navigate myself out of a wet paper bag.
1: Wow. Well, I told you that's why I moved to Colorado, because the mountains are always west. And so if I can see the mountains, I've got a better chance of not getting lost. Problem is when it's dark.
0: Oh, yeah. Dark. (laughs) Yeah, that'd do it. Yeah, or you go over to Utah, where you got mountains on both sides of you. Yeah, I, or if you're on the other side of the mountains, then what happens?
1: Well, then I, I cross over, I know it's east.
0: <laughs> okay. Wait, did you say you were the navigator for this show? I'm, I, <laughs> I think we're both in trouble.
1: Didn't say we were getting where we want to go. I said I'm the navigator. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, one thing I do like about this podcast, Dana, it's never a straight line. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, so true. So true. So last week, Dan, we had a special guest on and she talked about going to GalaxyCon in Ohio. And uh, so we didn't get to some of our listener comments. So I wanted to get to a few of those from the episode. Is there in truth? No beauty.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Our uh, good friend Zoom Kwan said, uh, great podcast, horrid episode. Three things that really irked me. On this one, the whole beauty-ugly dichotomy with the naming of Dr. Jones as Miranda, which means worthy of admiration. I I didn't know that's what Amanda stood for.
0: No, I didn't know that either.
1: And then the scene with with Larry and Miranda and her quarters seemed like a soap opera dialogue, even the way they were standing and being overly dramatic. Bonk, bonk on the head. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with you there. And finally, he said, it was very quick, but when Larry was going nuts in engineering just before the ship exits the galaxy, Larry tosses some guy away, and the poor guy hits one of the big cylinders in the middle of the floor. The damn thing moves. Scotty, tighten those bolts before you hit the scotch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you, Zoom.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Our good friend Pam McClung said, I thought this was one of the more obvious preachy episodes and it's a bit obvious i think the idea could have been conveyed in a much better way what exactly about kalos drove humans insane his ugliness really i think the similar example of the horda was a better example of what they were trying
0: to say here i, I would agree with that yeah
1: and then uh, last week we did uh, specter of the gun yeah and, Dan, we had a first time listener, Grayson William Mayfield III, said, Damn it, Jim, the podcast. I just listened to this podcast, my first time doing so. I enjoyed
0: it. Oh, so hold on. So, so he's a new listener. Yeah. Okay, so I can't really make fun of anything here.
1: <laughs> yeah, please. I
0: want to keep him for a couple episodes. A C- couple weeks. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, You have humor, but do not disparage the show. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't go back and listen to some of the other podcasts. Uh, (laughs) Says, I particularly enjoyed the trivia that you included. It was a quality job all the way
0: around. Oh, that's nice.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the show. And thank you, Grayson. Patty Negri said that uh, Specter of the Gun was too corny for her. Mm -hmm. Tim O'Connor, who's commented before, said worst episode ever. Zoom Quan replied to Tim O'Connor. This was on Facebook. Says, it always reminded me of Lost in Space with the black, empty backgrounds and simple sets in the foregrounds.
0: yeah i i did not hate it i mentioned last week i really liked that episode and probably the top 10
1: yeah and i liked it too um like i said i didn't think it was not top 10 i thought it had some neat ideas in it and i like the surreal, surrealistic qualities of it all
0: i'd say the top 10 in season three so far <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gotten through 10 have we yeah, yeah,
1: and it's uh, it could actually be number one in season three, pretty close. I mean, is there another one that's
0: better? Yeah, and the children shall lead, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Are you Dan?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, okay. Anyway, uh, Dan, do you have any uh, emails or uh, phone calls that we want to hear
0: about? Yes to both, and also some YouTube comments. So from email, Dean nicely sent us the correct pronunciation of his town in British Columbia. This is from a few episodes ago. It's pronounced Burnaby. And he also said, love the show as always. So thanks, Dean. John Ulukowski also emailed us. He said, gentlemen. Now, Dana, that's two weeks in a row someone's addressed us (laughs) as gentlemen. I think, again, they got the wrong email.
1: Yeah. What podcast are they listening to?
0: Not sure. Anyway, John writes, I'm legally blind, so I apologize if my talk to text doesn't understand me. I want to thank you for your podcast, and I eagerly await each week to hear you on YouTube. As you go through each episode, I run the scenery through my mind since I've seen the shows so many times in my life. As a lifelong musician, I tend to notice musical props in shows. In Dr. McCoy's office, there is a shelving unit with opaque figures. The lower left two shapes are trombone cup mutes. He goes on, once again, thank you for keeping me laughing. It's the best thing for one's physical and mental health. Well, doing the podcast and laughing with Dana helps my mental health for sure, John. So thanks for that email. But yeah, Dana, I mean, we have so much fun with this podcast. Like like we have said many times, we go for over two hours, sometimes two and a half hours, and we got to edit this thing down to under an hour usually. And so the stuff we cut out, that's the gold right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, if you want to pay to uh, hear some of that gold, uh, we'll put out a special disc and uh, sell that on eBay for about $4,000 uh, because we're going to need that for our bail. So it's, uh.
0: <laughs> for all the companies we'll get sued by, you know, for yeah. uh, disparaging them. Anyway, thanks, John, for that email. I'm glad that you appreciate the show and we are glad that you listen. From YouTube, Phil Lenz says about the episode Spectre of the Gun, Spectre of the Gun has has been one of my favorites. Certainly enjoyed Kirk giving Wyatt Earp a killer mabinga. Could <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that. Could have changed his name to Wyatt Schmitter. The <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Schmitter man that comes back. Uh, yeah, that's that is awesome. I haven't thought about Schmitter in a while. The partial sets I think worked better than if they had used an outside Western lot. One of the few times in the third season the budget cut worked to their advantage. I thought the alien was a dinosaur or a big lizard type, definitely not a worm. Good job, guys. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Also from YouTube, Cards Chiefs said, Really enjoyed the interview and your take on this episode. When you're done with Season 3, consider continuing with the cartoon series. It could be highly entertaining. Yeah, we've thrown that idea back and forth a little bit. And finally, J.D. Lewis sent us another fun fact... They say, great show today. Fun fact. Originally, they were supposed to use a full Western town, but the slashed budget forbade the use of one. Thus, the awkward expositional exchange of, quote, perhaps their memories are incomplete or, quote, perhaps this is all they need. Personally, I love the surreal flavor of the sparse and incomplete set. Good episode and great review. You know, I think we need to ask JD to send us a fun fact every week and just include that as a regular part of the show, Dana.
1: As I always say, we could use all the help we can get.
0: (laughs) Actually, what I would love is if JD called in and read the fun fact and we would just play it every week. There you go. Yeah. And finally, speaking of phone calls, we did get one this week from a listener who thinks we got a count wrong last week, Dana. Let's listen. Hey, guys. This is Topher. I'm calling from Madison and Wisconsin, calling about the episode uh, Spectre of the Gun and specifically about your count for the Prime Directive. I'm sure you've probably got this from a few other callers because we're all nerds, right? But no, this is not a violation of the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive is created to protect civilizations that were below the technology, you know, specifically spaceflight. If this civilization or this this race has, you know, a flying space probe and the ability to recreate the OK Corral and the ERPs, they're definitely advanced enough that they no longer qualify to be protected by the Prime Directive. So you guys gotta take that one away. Alright, thanks. Appreciate the show. Bye. Well, Dana, I think he might be right. In the second season episode, Bread and Circuses, the crew discusses that the Prime Directive is in effect. Remember that? Yeah. They said no identification or self or mission, no interference with the social development of said planet, no references to space or the fact that there are other worlds or more advanced civilizations. So I think... What the caller is saying is that because this civilization was so advanced that the Prime Directive didn't apply. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the uh, civilization was advanced. And what did kirk and spock and anybody do to interfere with its culture other than say they're coming down to the planet whether they want them to or not yeah that that was our basis for thinking that they violated the prime directive
0: right when in fact they were just being assholes yeah maybe for the first time ever dana we got to take one off the board yeah i was way ahead of you i took it off already okay good Anyway, so that's everything I have for this week, Dana. But I would like to encourage people to call. We do have a phone number. It is 509-676-6298. And hopefully, J.D. Lewis, you can call and give us the fun fact in person on the phone every week. We would love that. Yeah, that would be awesome.
1: Okay, Dan, shall we go into this next episode?
0: the next episode or the, the this episode.
1: <laughs> Shall we go into this episode?
0: Yeah, I think we should. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> so it's season 3, episode 7, Day of the Dove. We see the Enterprise orbiting a planet. Planet looks a lot like Earth.
0: Actually, the opening of the show is the exact same opening from is there, in truth, no beauty?
1: I thought I, I didn't know it was from that episode, but I thought I had just seen it recently.
0: Yeah, like two episodes ago or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of Earth-like planets out
0: there. Yeah, yeah most of them are, yeah.
1: Then we see a, a landing party beamed down with phasers ready. Kirk, McCoy, Chekhov, and a security guard. I was had
0: my hopes up there, Dan. Oh, I did too, Dana with the red shirt. Yeah.
1: Chekhov takes a scan and reports all readings normal. McCoy says no life readings and comments that the report they got said they were being attacked. Kirk says a whole colony of men, women and children. Who did it? Why? And then we see this like pinwheel looking effect coming out from behind a rock. It's just kind of like spinning in the background. It's kind of bluish green. Spock calls down and says, a Klingon ship is fast approaching. And Kirk orders Spock to protect the ship. Then he says, Klingons. That explains it.
0: But but there's nothing there. There's like no ruins or anything.
1: Yeah, not even like a torn piece of clothing
0: or like a bunch of bratty kids running around singing "Ring Around the Rosie." <laughs> now, if there would have been like a bunch of dead kids, specifically those ones from that episode, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, that, All right, that's okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, yeah, there'd be something like you know scraps from a tent or something. Something.
0: There was nothing.
1: So we go back to the ship and Sulu reports an explosion on the Klingon ship. Just then, a Klingon landing party beams down to the planet right where the Enterprise people beam down. That must be, like, the place to beam down. Mm. Spock reports the Klingon ship is totally disabled, but we did not fire on her. The Klingon commander storms towards Kirk. He hits Kirk with his disruptor across the face and tells him that his ship has been attacked by the Enterprise, 400 dead crewmen. And as his ship is disabled, he is claiming the Enterprise and claims Kirk is now a prisoner of the Klingon Empire for he has committed a wanton act of war.
0: And he got bingo.
1: Oh, big time. And off behind the rocks, we see that pinwheel effect grow larger and kind of turn red.
0: Yeah. I got to say, though, these Klingons. Now, I know that we're used to Klingons from, like, the next generation and then the movies and so on. But the makeup was just horrible.
1: I actually liked uh, the Klingon makeup. I thought it was more evolved in this. That, you know, the eyebrows were bigger and then they had all had, like, goatees and stuff. I just thought that they looked a little bit more intense. So the Klingon commander uh, marches back and forth in front of Kirk and his men, stating that the Klingon Empire has respected the treaty for three years. And Kirk says, we took no action against you, Kang. So we know the Klingon commander's name is Kang now. Yeah. And Kang goes on, were the screams of my crew imaginary? And Kang says, you lured us in with a false distress signal and ambushed us. Kirk says, we received a distress call. And then we see this pinwheel thing turning twirling
0: faster okay dana dana oh hold on a second here okay this is why it's confusing to me why did they have to kill 400 people on the klingon ship no one on the enterprise was killed right so why didn't they just whoever sent the fake distress signal just send a fake distress signal
1: my thought was wow this could have happened to the enterprise that 400 people on the enterprise could have been killed.
0: God, that would have been awesome because <laughs> our count would have gone way way up, Dana. I mean not, not anyone that we know on the enterprise, yeah. you know. Just like the ones who don't matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ones we don't see
0: as much. That's They're what just... that's what I meant. Yeah, they all matter. <laughs> Hold on, I got I got a few that I'd like to like nominate to be in the front of a line. <laughs>
1: so Kang insists Kirk call up to his ship to beam them up so he can take the Enterprise and Kirk says go to the devil (laughs) which yeah that's that's harsh (laughs) and Kang says we have no devil he says, we understand your habits. So is, like, beliefs a habit?
0: Uh, if you're a nun, you know, because they wear habits.
1: Spoken like a true Catholic boy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, why didn't they say beliefs? Chekhov comes forward shouting,
1: Cossacks! You killed my brother, Peter! There are research outpost, A hundred peaceful people massacred! My brother! You killed and my volunteer brother! Volunteer to join him. That is loyalty. Two of the Klingon soldiers knock Chekov to the ground and they put an agonizer on his face. Mm-hmm. Again, we see the pinwheel spinning faster and going red. Chekhov screams. Kirk says enough, but Kang does not order it to stop. Kirk says, stop the torture, and McCoy says, you can't give up the Enterprise, and Kang finally orders the torture to stop.
0: Kirk says, I, I don't want you to stop torturing everyone. Just stop torturing Chekov. Torture McCoy over here. He's the one you really need to, because I will not tell you to stop. Spock calls down, I, I will second that. A cheer goes up from the bridge, you know, before before he cuts communication. <laughs>
1: We're sending a few more people down that you can torture, too. (laughs) Let's start with him. So Kang says, no tricks or I'll kill 100 hostages for any treachery. And Kirk takes the communicator from Kang. Kirk calls up to the Enterprise and tells Spock to beam up everyone. As Kirk pulls the communicator away from his face, we see he pushes a button on the communicator. And on the bridge of the Enterprise, we see a yellow light flash on the command
0: chair. Okay, Dana, we've never seen this before. And there have been other episodes episodes where Kirk has been told, you know, call the ship, don't, you know, don't pull a fast one or we're going to kill all of you. He's never pushed that button before.
1: Maybe that's something new they had installed because of all the times that's happened in the past. And
0: that could be. You know, finally they learned their lesson. Spock
1: is understood and calls the transporter room. Back on the planet, everyone prepares to beam up. They kind of
0: cluster together.
1: So then they beam up and we see the pinwheel move in and then it disappears.
0: So did it get beamed up too?
1: Don't think so. It has its own mode of transportation. Okay. <laughs> okay. On the Enterprise, only the Enterprise landing party beams up. Kirk comes off the transporter as Spock enters and says the landing party is intact. Scotty points to the transporter console and says everyone else is suspended in here. Kirk sends Johnson, the security guard, to get more security. Scotty asks who the guests are and Kirk says Klingons. Chekhov says, leave them in there, non-existence. There are so many Klingon monsters in the galaxy. So two more security guards show up, and Kirk orders Scotty to bring them in. The Klingons beam aboard, and the security team rushes up
0: and takes away their weapons. I'm with uh, Chekhov. Leave him, just leave them hanging for a while. I mean, nothing bad's going to happen, right? Yeah, unless
1: somebody like comes along and happens to erase it or something. <laughs> yeah, so <it's... laughs>
0: Someone comes in like, who left this on? Just presses the button. <laughs> Away they go.
1: Just beam them out into space like we did a couple of uh, security guards a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So Kang says, there are still survivors on my ship. Scotty says, the Klingon ship is leaking radioactivity. It's a hazard to the area. Kirk orders the Klingon ship destroyed and Kang says, finish the job you started. The transporter starts up again. Spock reports, first group from the Klingon vessel, six Klingons show up on the transporter pads, including two female Klingons. Mm. One walks to Kang and Kang introduces her as his wife and science officer. She asks, what happened? And Kang says, more Federation treachery. And Mara, that's her name asks, what will they do to us? I've heard of their atrocities, their death camps. They will torture us for scientific and military information.
0: Actually, the torture, Dana, is going to be, she has to sit there and listen to Kirk pontificate about something. <laughs> endlessly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Kirk says, apparently you have a few things to learn about us. Then he says, detain them in the crew lounge. Seems like a weird place.
0: Yeah, where, what is the cr- crew lounge? What are they talking about? Is it like the rec room or?
1: Yeah, it's the rec room or the like the lounge where there's food and stuff.
0: Wouldn't that be the cafeteria? I mean, lounge sounds like they got like you know someone playing some piano jazz in there, and <laughs> you know it's smoky because people are smoking.
1: Yeah, I could see the Klingons hanging out in a room like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What kind of music do you think they would listen to?
1: If they listen to jazz, it'd be like acid jazz. If they listen to rock, it'd be like uh, heavy metal,
0: death metal, maybe.
1: Death metal, yeah, that's it, it. would be definitely death metal. Yeah. yeah. So uh Kirk orders them to program the food synthesizer to accommodate our guests. He says, "You'll be well treated, Kang." And Kang says, "So I have seen." Kirk says, uh, "Secure from red alert." In the hallway, we see the multi-colored pinwheel. Kirk and Spock exit the transport room, followed by McCoy and Chekov. Kirk orders that they maintain general orders and keep an eye out for other ships. Then he says he wants a full report on the colony. Chekov argues, "We." know what happened the distress call spock says at the moment we received the distress call from the colony on beta 12a the klingons were far too distant to have been the attackers moreover they also were apparently attracted by a distress call
0: that's the confusing part to me dana it doesn't seem like all those people on the klingon ship needed to die and here's the other thing. Did the Klingons have an outpost on that planet, too?
1: Yeah, what kind of distress call would they be going to? Chekhov says, lies. They went to start a war by pretending that we did. And McCoy says, Chekhov may be right. The Klingons claim to, to have honored the truce, but there have been incidents, raids on our outposts. Kirk says, no proof that the Klingons committed it. And McCoy says, what proof do we need? We know what a Klingon is. And then they stop, and McCoy gets off, and Kirk's like, thank f-ing God, I don't have to listen to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, Uhura reports they still can't reach Starfleet. Kirk orders phasers fired at the Klingon ship now that everyone is off of it, except for the dead people, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a good point. Like, what is the Klingon burial kind of ritual? I'm sure they just eject people out into space. They don't give a shit.
1: In one of the corridors, we see the pinwheel moving along. It passes by a sign that reads, Officers' Quarters. Then it goes to the lounge where the Klingons are gathered, and Kang states that when he takes the ship, he will have Kirk's head stuffed and hung on his cabin wall. Mara says, We are 40 against 400, and a Klingon soldier steps up says, 4,000 throats may be cut in one night by a running man. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it the Flash? <laughs> it's like, you
0: know, I mean. Right. It's, it's almost like that was a Klingon saying, you know?
1: Yeah, well, the Klingon saying is stupid. <laughs> yeah, you <know, it's> <laughs> you know, I, I could see if he said, you know, like a hundred throats can be cut in one night by a running man, but 4,000? It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, is everybody standing up, lined together, and he just got like a you know, big knife, You and know, everybody's gonna be like the same
0: height? And don't you think the knife would get dull after about maybe 200 people? I mean, I just took it that it was like an old Klingon saying, you know, proverb or something. That's how I kind of took it.
1: On the bridge, we see the pinwheel is near the turbo lift. Uhura has a bit of a meltdown, stating that it doesn't make sense. Channels are open, but they're not receiving. She's. Says, could it be the Klingons? Just then the ship is rocked. And Sulu reports, the helm is dead. Auxiliary navigation dead. So Kirk tells Scotty to stop the engines. Scotty says, I would if I could. Scotty says, the engines have gone to warp nine by themselves. So the next thing we see is Kirk in the lounge with the Klingons. He has obviously accused the Klingons of sabotage to his ship. Kang denies it. Kirk turns back to Kang. Before I put you in the brig, there's something I owe you. And he punches Kang, and Kang stumbles back across the room. Swords start appearing all over the room. Kang picks up a sword, and his men suddenly have swords. Kirk pulls his phaser, and it too turns into a sword.
0: (laughs) This is ridiculous, Dana. Come on.
1: And it's funny because like Kirk acts like, you know, yeah, it's weird, but he, it's almost like he's mad at the Klingons for it happening. Yeah. So a sword fight breaks out. Kirk and his men escape into the hallway and the Klingons pursue. Johnson gets stabbed instead of usually the other way. He's doing the stabbing. Kirk fights off a couple of Klingons and they get into the turbo lift. They take Johnson to sickbay and then Kirk goes onto the bridge. He calls Scotty and asks, how many men do we have? And Scotty says, 392 trapped below deck. But hold, hold on, hold on, hold
0: Dana, Dana, you kind of alluded to this, but no one has said, what is going on? Swords? They don't even remark on it. And the second thing is, they're all, you know, pretty good with the sword. It's almost like they get that training somewhere.
1: <laughs> well, in the future, Dan, mm-hmm. they're still hoping that they get lightsabers like in another franchise. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that hadn't even been thought of yet then. So they, they practice sword fighting.
0: Okay, that makes as much sense as anything else in this episode.
1: (laughs) Kirk orders Scotty to protect his area and find a way to stop the engines.
0: Just throw a sword in it. Throw throw a sword in one of those engines. Maybe that'll, like, jam it up. Yeah,
1: there you go. Scotty says, she's a projectile at warp nine, and how she's holding together, I'll never know. And since it happens almost weekly, he should know that warp nine isn't a problem anymore, (laughs) I would think. so.
0: And the ship always holds together somehow.
1: Chekhov stands up and Kirk orders him to remain at his post. Chekhov says he has a personal score to settle with the Klingons. He's holding the sword pointed at Kirk. Yeah. Kirk says there is no time for a personal vendetta, and Chekhov says he saw what the Klingons did to his brother. He says, I swore on his grave I would avenge his murder. And Chekhov gets on the turbo lift, and Sulu asks, what's Chekhov's problem? Kirk says his brother was killed in a Klingon raid, and Sulu gets a funny look on his face and says, he never had a brother. He's an only child. Kirk is stunned by this, and he sends Sulu down to engineering. Uhura comes up and asks, why would Chekhov believe he has a brother? Kirk says... I don't know, but now he wants revenge for a non-existent loss. And then he orders security to find and detain Chekhov.
0: And his brother.
1: <laughs> Probably working together, yeah. So. <laughs> we see Chekhov get off of a turbo lift. The pinwheel follows him, glowing red. In sickbay, McCoy is working on Johnson.
0: No, nope, nope. It's still dry January, Dana. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So next we see two Klingons enter a lab. Mara, Kang, and another Klingon enter. They go to a computer and pull up an image of the Enterprise. The one Klingon says, layout and specifications of the Enterprise. Yeah, you don't need a password
0: or anything or code. No, No. no. fingerprint, nothing.
1: Voice recognition.
0: Nothing. No facial recognition.
1: Iris scan. Library card. Nothing. Mara says the numbers are the same as ours. We have a fighting chance. Kang says we must take the ship and first... We must take engineering. So Kirk and Spock are on the bridge. Spock reports that the numbers are equal between the Klingons and the remaining crew. he says there appears to be more life energy units on board than can be accounted for by the presence of the Enterprise crew plus the Klingons. A considerable discrepancy. Kirk says could more Klingons have beamed aboard? And Spock says I shall attempt a compensatory reading of Klingon units. (laughs)
0: a funny line i thought yeah couldn't he just
1: say i'll check (laughs) in engineering we see the pinwheel overhead sulu is standing guard as scotty comes up a ladder he goes into engineering we see klingon sneaking into the room
0: yeah dana that's sneaking that was hilarious Yeah, my god
1: (laughs) and it's just it almost looked like Okay, crawl in, make it look like they can't see you. You know, yeah. like the, that was the direction that they got. I think it was. The Klingon jumped down from above and knocked down a couple of the red shirts. Scotty fights off one, of the, uh, one guy and then two more attack him. He backs out the door and Sulu and another guy knock out the Klingon. Sulu used a karate chop on the neck, by the way.
0: Yes. We haven't seen the karate chop in a while, have we?
1: thinking we should have started a count of how many karate chops were used to knock out an opponent. Yeah. We'd be like in the hundreds by now.
0: I think you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we've seen like in recent episodes where Kirk maybe has hit someone on the back with a closed fist or whatever, but not the karate chop. That actually we haven't seen in a while. Scotty
1: says uh, they've taken engineering. I was thinking, boy, that just wasn't much of a fight. They just kind of like backed out of the room and let them take engineering.
0: Yeah, not not a good fight there. Scotty's supposed to be,
1: you know, a man of action. Kind of disappointed. So we see Kang and Mara enter engineering as the Klingons cheer victory, victory. I couldn't understand what they were saying. I actually read that later. So. <laughs> On the bridge, Spock reports that there are not extra Kleons and that the other entity is an alien force, but he cannot ascertain its location. Kirk says we must make contact and find out what it wants. Spock asks the computer for a report, and the computer says, alien, life force on board is composed of pure energy.
0: That was a good... Impression of the computer.
1: I hate that computer voice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's annoying.
1: Yeah, can you imagine being stuck in space for five years with that fucking thing going off every now and then? It's like you, know, you took a wrong turn. <laughs> it's like the you know the guidance in your car. You know, at least it says you know at the next light make a U turn. This thing would be like at the next star make a U turn. <laughs>
0: They'd have to find a way to digitally mabinga that thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kirk says he must reach Kang and offer a truce. McCoy comes on the bridge as Spock points out that a truce with Klingons is hard to achieve once blood has been shed. McCoy steps up angry. Truce? Are you serious? I've got men in sickbay, some of them dying, atrocities committed on their persons.
0: Then here's my question, Dana. Why is he on the bridge? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, how come he's not in sickbay taking care of all these people?
1: Spock says, we are attempting to end it, Doctor, by reason, preferably. There is an alien on board which may have created the situation.
0: But if you'd like to go down and talk to the Klingons, go ahead. We'll, <laughs> we'll wait right here.
1: Here's a few slang Klingon words uh, that we think that they'll appreciate when you go down to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk says the alien on board is the real enemy, and Uhura reports that McCoy is needed in sickbay. Really? He says more wounded men requiring your attention. McCoy starts towards the turbo lift and turns around and shouts, how many more men must die before you two start acting like military men instead of fools?
0: God, how about just a couple dying? I mean, I, I would be okay with just a couple, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> So we could finally get something in that count.
1: Right now, I'm thinking Kirk's like, uh, "Yeah, I hope the Klingons get
0: him." <laughs> in fact, McCoy <laughs> leaves the bridge and he calls to King. Hey, King, by the way, McCoy's heading down your way. He really, really hates you,
1: and he's the mastermind here. He knows everything about about the Enterprise. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a lackey. You know, and, uh, you want to kill him, and we'll all surrender to you.
0: And he's the one who gave the order to blow up your ship. And we yes, we did. And it was him.
1: And there were still people alive on your ship when we blew it up, by the way. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so Kang calls up to the bridge and Kirk says, we must talk. And Kang says, I have control of engineering. I have turned off life support for your areas. You will die in the icy cold of space.
0: God, it always takes so long, though, Dana. It takes so <laughs> long. I mean, Khan did the same thing, you know? Come on. <laughs>
1: So Scotty comes out of the turbo lift and says, Chekhov was right, Captain.
0: We what should the- have left those false faced goons in the transporter. That's right where they belong. Mr. Mm-hmm. Scott. Keep your fucking hands off me. Your feelings might be hurt. You green blooded half breed.
1: So Spock moves forward and Scotty raises his sword. Spock catches Scotty's sword hand and starts pushing him back. Then Spock makes a fist if it's, as if he's going to seriously
0: mabinga Scotty. Just obliterate him.
1: Kirk stops Spock and as Spock continues to break free, Kirk keeps calling, Spock, Spock, you're half human.
0: Which half do you think it is? Upper half, lower half, left side, right side?
1: Uh, Right side. Kirk and Spock stop and stare at each other and Kirk says, What are we saying? What are we doing? Has a war been staged for us,
0: complete with weapons and ideology and patriotic drum beating, even race hatred?
1: Spock says it is most urgent that we locate the alien entity immediately and determine its motives and a method for halting its activities. So we see Kang and Mara in engineering. She says their life support systems have resumed. She says they appear to be controlled from somewhere else in the ship. Kang says one of Kirk's tricks. What power is it that supports our battle but starves our victory? thought that was an interesting line
0: that was a good line i like that one too yeah
1: he says power interrupted their main support couplings she says deck six, and she takes off with one of the other Klingon soldiers. On the bridge, Spock says he has detected the alien in engineering near reactor number three. Kirk says, let's go. So next thing we see is Chekhov in a corridor. He sees someone coming and ducks behind a grating. When Mara and the Klingon soldier pass by, Chekov comes out and slashes the soldier in the back. Then Chekov. Pins Mara against the wall and you think he's just going to kill her. Then he stares at her and says, you won't die yet. And he says, you're not human. But you're very beautiful.
0: And it was said in a super creepy, very icky way, Dana. Even for Star Trek, this was kind of disturbing, I thought.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. And we hear a rip of cloth as he moves forward and kisses her, obviously against her will. Kirk and Spock come around the corner and Kirk pulls Chekhov off
0: of Mara. When Kirk pulls Chekhov off, he mabingas him twice. Oh, yeah. Big time. Knocks him out. Knocks him out, yeah.
1: Kirk turns back to Mara and says there's an alien entity aboard this ship. It's forcing us to fight. Take me to Kang. A temporary truce, that's all I ask. Mara just stares at him. He takes her by the arm and pushes her towards Spock and says, Spock, take her. So Spock and Mara leave. Kirk goes to Chekhov and he picks Chekhov up. I think Chekhov must have only been like 100 pounds. Yeah,
0: because he starts carrying him down the
1: hall. So maybe Shatner was in better shape than I give him credit for. Mm, Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Next, we see McCoy and sickbay. He's checking on Johnson. Nope.
0: no. No.
1: Kirk enters carrying Chekhov. Spock and Mara follow him in. Spock and Mara went off in a different direction. I know it. It, was, it
0: was another. <laughs> So this is one of the continuity issues in this episode. I think there were a couple, but yeah, they go off in another direction. And then all of a sudden they're like, just with Kirk and Chekhov. It didn't make sense.
1: Kirk sets Chekhov on the table and McCoy starts checking him saying, brainwave show almost paranoid mania. What happened? I'm really working on my McCoy accent. The so. McCoy
0: accent's really good.
1: Kirk says he lost control. We're becoming animal warriors. Then he turns and says, let's go, Spock. And McCoy stops him and says, Johnson's heart wound is almost healed. Same with the other casualties. Sword wounds and vital organs, massive trauma, shock. And Spock says it would appear the entity wants us alive.
0: So, Dana, I'm, I'm asking a question. I'm not, there's, it's no, there's no innuendo in this, okay? Okay. What Johnson organ? <laughs> says heart. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that that was the Johnson organ that we're talking about. No, no innuendo. It's still January.
1: Kirk says, why? So we can fight and fight and keep coming back from war like some bloody coliseum? Spock says, no, that was like a few episodes ago. That was last season. So. <laughs> Kirk says, let's find the alien. And he says, Tamara, you come with us. Maybe we can prove to you that it exists. They leave, and then we see the alien pinwheel in the corridor again. Kirk and Spock and Mara move down the hall. Then Kirk stops. They see the alien, and Spock uses the tricorder, which he just happened to have on him.
0: (laughs) Which he didn't have earlier, right? I didn't think he did. He must have just picked it up in, you know, sickbay. He's like, oh, maybe this will come in handy. Watch a little television.
1: (laughs) Kirk moves slightly closer, and Kirk says, what do you want? What are you doing here? Johnson just then shows up and says he's ready for duty. Kirk orders him back to sickbay, and Johnson says no. The Klingons almost did me in once. I'm ready to even the score. And Kirk goes to order him back, and Johnson goes to fight Kirk. Spock steps up and does the Vulcan nerve pinch, and then Johnson claps on the floor.
0: Yeah, Johnson just got kind of limp.
1: Spock then comments, fascinating. During Lieutenant Johnson's emotional outburst, his expression of hatred and lust for vengeance and the alien's energy level, seem to increase. So Kirk says it subsists on the emotions of others. And Spock says this one appears to be strengthened by mental irradiations of hostility. Kirk says it exists on the hate of others. And Spock says it has acted as a catalyst, creating the situation in order to satisfy the need.
0: Uh, so the, another example of them going on and on and on when they could have easily ended that co- whole conversation about five sentences ago.
1: And uh, Kirk keeps going
0: on. And <laughs> kept numbers. <laughs> really? Really? That's shocking.
1: Spock says, then all hostile attitudes on board must be eliminated. The fighting must end. So Kirk says, or we're a doomed ship filled with eternal bloodlust. Kang has got to listen. So then Scotty hails and says, the dilithium crystals are deteriorating. They've only got about 12 minutes of power.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're throwing everything in this episode, like a whole kitchen sink into this one, Dana.
1: So you know the writer of this one like, paid attention to at least I don't know, half dozen episodes.
0: Or he had like some friends over one night and he was like, <laughs> write down one thing you remember from an episode of Star Trek and he gets like these 20 things together and he makes an episode out of it. We could do that. It'd be kind of a fun like party game.
1: We should do that with our friends. Most of them can only remember one or two things, period. So. It's <laughs> a...
0: <laughs> and not about Star Trek necessarily.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> who knows what we'll get. Back on the bridge, Scotty reports he can't stop the crystals from deteriorating. Spock says they now only have nine minutes and 53 seconds to power zero. That's a cousin to a Coke zero, Dan.
0: In the past, I've done this. I didn't do it in this episode, where I actually like start a stopwatch, you know, to see if the time matches up. But I didn't. Did you get a sense of that? If it matched or not?
1: I just stopped caring. <laughs> <So.
0: laughs> At this point, it's like this episode's not really worth investing any more time into.
1: So yeah, it's just like you know, if I, if they make it, they don't. You know, either way, I'm, I'm happy. So. <laughs> so Spock says we have Kang's wife as a prisoner, perhaps a threat, which seemed like a weird thing
0: for spock to
1: come up with. totally
0: yeah i agree
1: kirk calls to kang he says i know you can hear me we have your wife talk truce now or she dies kirk says she has five seconds to live kang says she is a victim of war
0: (laughs) he's just throwing his wife under the bus man go ahead kill her
1: kirk looks defeated so he says he called my bluff and mara says so you're not going to kirk says no the federation doesn't mistreat its prisoners you've been listening to propaganda she says so this was no trick and Scotty says it's the alien that has done this.
0: Wait, now now Scotty's does is not influenced anymore by it. Maybe a couple of stiff shots of scotch down in engineering and. That clear it right up.
1: Mara says she will help. She will add her voice to his to convince Kang. Kirk realizes he can't get through all the Klingon defenses. So he asks Spock about intership beaming. And Spock says there are dangers involved. One could materialize in a bulkhead or a wall.
0: See, that would suck. Why is that different than beaming down into a planet? Yeah,
1: good point. Because they they beamed down like into buildings before. Kirk says they have to try. Scotty looks at Spock and says, she cannot guarantee that Kang will listen. Spock says, no one can guarantee the actions of another. Yeah, at first I was like, what? That's great comment. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, that's kind of stupid.
0: I'm on the stupid side of the fence. I mean, I'm not. Well, yeah, well yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, I, I definitely am. But the comment was dumb. So
1: they beam into engineering. Kang comes at them and Mara steps up and says, he's unarmed. He came to talk to you. We see the alien that up above, turning red. Kirk says before you start killing, give me one minute. Kang tries to attack Kirk and Mara steps between them, begging him to listen. He sees her clothes are torn and says, I see why the human beast did not kill you. He goes after Kirk again and pushes her aside. Mara takes a sword and tosses it to Kirk. Kang pins Kirk against the controls and says, with your death, we win. Kirk says, no one wins. How many of your men have died? We can't be killed. There's an alien on board ship and he wants us alive. Spock and McCoy and a few security guards come running down the hall. I didn't know this was part of the plan.
0: No one did. They were hoping by the time they got there, Kirk would already be dead.
1: (laughs) A fight ensues. Spock does the Vulcan nerve pitch on on one of the Klingons, and McCoy is swinging a sword like he knows what the hell he's doing with it. Right. Kirk grabs Kang's arm and holds his sword to Kang's throat. Kirk throws away his sword. He turns and walks away from Kang. Kirk says, All right, all right. In the heart, in the head, I won't stay dead. Next time, I'll do the same to you. I'll kill you. And it goes on. The good old game of war. Pawn against pawn. While somewhere, something sits back and laughs and starts it all over again. Mara says, Kang, I am your wife. I am Klingon. Listen to Kirk. He tells the truth. And Spock says, All fighting must stop before the dilithium crystals are gone. Kirk calls to Uhura and asks to be broadcast across the ship. And Kirk says, a truce is ordered. And then we see fighting is still going on in the hallways. Kang says, cease hostilities. The fighting stops.
0: I mean, like it immediately stops. They just stop in like mid swing, it seems like.
1: And Spock looks at the alien. The cessation of violence appears to have weakened it, Captain. I suggest that good spirits might make an effective weapon. So Kirk says, get off my ship. You're a dead duck here. You're powerless. We know about you and we don't want to play. Maybe there are others like you around. Maybe you've caused a lot of suffering, a lot of history, but that's all over.
0: Sounds like he was talking to Gene Roddenberry at that point.
1: (laughs) Ship out. Come on, haul it. And McCoy walks up and goes, yeah, out already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He just had to get in there, didn't he?
1: (laughs) And Kang says, out. We need no urging to hate humans. And they all start laughing. The alien changes colors. Kang slaps Kirk on the back. And Kirk looks like for a second like he might haul off and hit Kang. But he just keeps laughing. The alien gets brighter. And then we see it leave the ship. And Dan, that's how this episode ends.
0: So Dana, you have something to tell us about the actors in this episode.
1: Yeah, Dan uh, Michael Ansara, who played Kang, well-known TV actor, shows up on a lot of TV shows, especially westerns, where he was often cast as an American Indian. Ansara also showed up in several theatrical movies, including Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Comancheros with John Wayne, and in the Elvis movie Harem Scarum
0: Wow, we haven't had an Elvis connection in quite a while. Yeah, and it's a guy instead of a woman. And remember, for a while, it was like we were getting them all the time. It seemed like mostly through the second season. Elvis watched Star Trek. Oh, I'm sure he did. Can you imagine if he was on Star Trek? It never would have gone off the air. Right, until he died.
1: On Sir Wed I Dream of Genie star Barbara Eden in 1958 and they divorced in 1974, he uh, also voiced Mr. Freeze on various animated Batman series. He actually reprised the role of Kang for a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode called Blood Oath and Star Trek Voyager episode Flashback. Ansara had passed away at the age of 91 in 2013. Dan also, Susan Howard, who played the uh, Klingon Mara, she was well known for her work in multiple TV series. She actually appeared in Here Comes the Brides with Michael Ansara, David Soule, and Mark Leonard, all who also appeared in Star Trek. Oh, right. Yeah. She was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Emmy for her role on the TV series Petrocelli.
0: Was that a show about pasta? What what was that show about?
1: (laughs) But uh, she might be best known for her work on the nighttime soap Dallas, which she appeared on from 1979 to 1987. So, Dan, she is still alive at age 79. Dan, you've got some notes you want to share
0: with us? You know, Dana, once again, this episode, and we've seen this happen now several times in season three, is full of recycled elements. The Enterprise crew getting captured by Powerful aliens when they're on the surface of a planet that happened in Cat's Paw, by any other name. Aliens that are blobs of light. of Mercy. remember that one? Yeah. And there was one that was kind of smoke. Not exactly the same thing, but, you know, kind of similar. A uh, crew member is forced to take part in a deadly gladiatorial combat. Amok time, bread and circuses, the gamesters of Triskelion. And the non-corporeal alien, you know, Wolf in the Fold and Aaron of Mercy, both of those had that element. And look, I'm all for recycling, Dana, really. But these ideas keep getting recycled. It really makes me wonder if there was a season four, what new ideas they would have even been able to come up with. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, like you, Dan, I don't mind recycling, uh, but it, when it's just they don't do anything new with it.
0: Yeah, it's like if I recycle my pizza box and I get the same pizza box next week, I, I, you know, greasy and cold and stuff. I want them to actually make that into a new pizza box for me, Dana. And that's just not happening here. Yeah, exactly. And then finally, this is the only episode in the original series that shows female Klingons.
1: Yeah, and you know, this is the only time we ever saw Sulu in a Jeffrey's tube.
0: Yeah, that's true. All right, that's all I have, Dana.
1: Okay, Dan, do you have anything for uh, themes and dilemmas this week?
0: Yeah, and I think that this could have been such a a good episode, they really could have dealt with this dilemma or this theme in a better way, but, you know, ultimately the senselessness and the folly of war, right? And that's really what this episode was about. They talk about some things in this episode that a person watching it at the time would be like, oh yeah, they're talking about the Vietnam War because it's all over the news every night. Yeah. They're giving, you know, counts of American soldiers killed. People at the time would have known, would have understood that this was about, really, the Vietnam War. You know, in the immortal words of Edwin Starr, wow. Dana, how about a dilemma for you? Well, I have similar notes, Dan.
1: Um, One of my questions, though, is does hate and prejudice come easy for us humans? Uh, it seems to be kind of one of the underlying themes in this, uh, that there is prejudice even amongst people who are friends. Something I've thought about a lot, and it's troubling to think about. It's just, it's uh, concerning. I mean, obviously, there's a huge anti-war theme throughout this. But uh, one of the things that came through for me was the, the amount of prejudice.
0: Dana. Do you have a best part for this episode? I reached a little bit in this.
1: In my mind, the Klingons are better looking. Everybody's got the goatee or something and the big bushy eyebrows. Seems seemed like they did a little bit more with the makeup this time than they've done in the past. And I like that. How about you, Dan? Do you have a best part?
0: Yes. Yeah, Scotty going crazy on Spock on the bridge when he comes up after, you know, the creature has kind of invaded the ship and started to make people go, go nuts. I thought it was really good acting on the part of James Dewan. How about a best part for you?
1: Again, kind of reaching the anger thing that affected everyone, and the solution wasn't just easily resolved. It wasn't like, you know, oh, if we reverse the magnetic field inside the ship or we flood the ship with radiation. Yeah, that's all I got.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How about you, Dan? Do you have another best part? Once again, the use of the Mabinga. Kang Mabinga's Kirk. (laughs) Kirk Mabinga's Chekhov twice. You know, we really should have been keeping account on this once we saw Dr. Mabinga. And for those listeners who maybe are just joining us for the first time, Dr. Mabinga was a character who was in the episode of Private Little War, and he's got to slap Spock to get him out of his coma. Go watch the episode if you haven't seen it. It's worth it just for this scene. But Dana, we should have been keeping account. How about a worse part for you, Dana?
1: How many times are we going to speed towards the edge of the galaxy? I mean, just in season three, it seems like we've done it like four or five times. What about you, Dan? Do
0: you have a worse part? Check off assaulting Mara. This part, all joking aside, was pretty disturbing. But Dana, you know, rape and sexual assault has been used in war probably since the beginning of time. We're seeing it today. You know, we've seen it in the Ukraine. We see it in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. It truly is the epitome of human savagery. Dana, how about another worst part for you?
1: Uh, I had the same thing, Dan. Chekhov's attack on Mara. So I'll add that while the anger thing affected everyone, as I said, is one of the best parts, it didn't affect everyone, it seemed, permanently. Uh, People were able to snap out of it. just was uneven. (laughs)
0: Dana, what happened on this date in history?
1: Dan, this episode aired on November 1st, 1968. In the U.S., the number one song was Hey Jude by the Beatles. And in the U.K., Joe Cocker hits the number one spot on the charts with A Little Help from My Friends, which is also a Beatles song.
0: Great version of that song.
1: Oh, yeah. Also, Dan, uh, heavy rains in North Italy began causing flash flooding of the Toki River, Tochi River. Yeah, okay. Uh, and its streams killing 61 people in Valla
0: Did you find that just for me, Dana? I did. I mean, horrible, right? Horrible. Any tragedy is horrible, Dana.
1: Dan, the uh, I remember this. The MPAA, it's the Motion Picture Association of America's new rating system, went into effect with films branded G- M, R, or X. M was for mature audiences, which later became PG. And then a few years later, they changed it to PG-13.
0: Now, this is not a law. No. But if a film doesn't submit For this rating, it's really hard to be shown in theaters. Is that the deal?
1: Yeah, it's hard to get distribution. And then I found this. I thought this was interesting. On October 31st, the Condon Committee at Colorado University, a study group led by Professor Edward Condon, delivered its final report. Scientific study of unidentified flying objects to the United States Air Force. Wow. Condon's summary was our general conclusion is that nothing has come from the study of UFOs in the past 21 years has added to scientific knowledge. Okay, Dan, do you want to move on to the counts?
0: Yeah, let's do it, Dana. There were people who probably died in this episode, but then came back to life. So unfortunately, even if we knew of some of them, we probably, I mean, we probably still would have counted them, but only as half, you know? But anyway, how about the dead crewman count, Dana? I was sure we were going to get a few. Yeah,
1: But then McCoy makes that whole thing about, you know, everybody's coming back to life and wounds are healing. So we had
0: zero, so
1: we are still at
0: 47 and a half. Even with his very bad doctoring skills. <laughs> <laughs> He couldn't kill anybody this episode. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt, Kirk count?
1: You would think Kirk fighting a Klingon would get a rip shirt. Especially with swords. Yeah. Didn't even see like a, a break in the scene. So zero this week. We are still at 18.
0: Dana, how about the he's dead count?
1: Not this week, Dan. Uh, I would, Again, I was sure we were going to get one, but we didn't. So we are still at 21.
0: Now, this is the one I'm a little bit afraid to ask you about, Dana, because I know it's been upsetting <laughs> you. I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank.
1: McCoy disappoints once again. Uh, (laughs) Nothing this week, and we are still
0: at 8. The supreme being count.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a supreme being within 100
0: galaxies of this place, so uh,
1: (laughs) we are still at
0: 11. Violation of the prime directive count.
1: Now, Dan, last week we added one, so we were at 12, Yeah, and we realized, thanks to listeners' comments, that... uh, we shouldn't have really commented or counted last week, so yeah. I suggest we take that back to 11.
0: I think you're right, Dan. I think we really need to. It's, that was a good call. How about the taking over of the Enterprise count?
1: That did happen, Dan. Uh, as much as Kang wanted to say it was him, it was really the uh, alien entity. So uh, that puts us up to 13.
0: All right. And who's commanding the Enterprise?
1: At the very beginning, Spock was. So now we are at 30.
0: Okay. I've got another one. And I know the exact timestamp because I wrote it down. Yeah. At about 30, almost about 38 minutes into the show, Scotty is in the captain's chair.
1: So now we're at 31, Dan.
0: All right. Dana, I got to say, this episode was disappointing to me.
1: That's it?
0: (laughs) I just don't want to waste any more time on it, really.
1: I like this episode for certain things. But overall, it's not one of my favorites. It's always good to see the Klingons. There's just too many things in there that kind of bothered me a little bit. I I didn't hate the show. Right. I didn't love it either.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. It was just blah to me. Hey, it was still fun to talk about the episode, though, Dan. I still had a good time.
1: Yeah, Dan, as always, uh, I always enjoy sitting down and talking with you about these episodes. Dan, what do we have next week?
0: Next week we have what I'm going to guess is the longest title in any Star Trek episode of the original series, and it is For the World is Hallow and I Have Touched the Sky. I think so. I like that title. It's very poetic. It's very poetic, yeah.
1: Thanks again to all our listeners and the continued support and friendship. We really appreciate all the communications. As always, don't forget, we do have a phone number. Dan, what's that phone number again?
0: That number is 509-676-6298. You can call anytime, day or night. It will go right to voicemail, and you can leave us a message about the episode. You can do your best or worst, like I do, impersonation of any character from the original series, or just tell us your thoughts about one of the episodes of the podcast. We would love to hear from you.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Dan. And thanks again to all our listeners. Until we meet again, live long and
0: prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at damnitjimpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or X. You can also call the Damn It, Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for the episode, For the World is Hollow, and I have touched the sky. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.